Hi, I'm Ben Lowell, and this is Truth and Light Today with Dr. John Newfeld. John, we are beginning a new series today, an exciting series, and it's called Romans uh, Set Apart for the Gospel. Yes. And, and it's, in, it's an important series, and I think one of the things I want to say to you, when you talk in your first segment today, you're going to talk about how important, in, perhaps for the Christian, the most important book of the Bible is the book of Romans. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to say, Ben, that, you know, every book of the Bible is important. It's all the Word of God, and maybe I want to say they're all of equal importance, but they are in different places in our lives. You see, yeah. Romans would be a foundational book, and you build on it with other books. Um, so I would always argue that if you're going to know three books in the New Testament, you ought to know one of the synoptic gospels, that's either Matthew, Mark, or Luke, know one of those, know the gospel of John, but the book of Romans forms the doctrinal foundation for everything that you believe. You got to know that one front to back. So why do you think we're so fearful of the book of Romans? Yeah, it's got a lot of big words in there. Some of the concepts in Romans yeah. are difficult for us. But I think they're only difficult because we haven't been trained to think this way. Yeah. Uh, once we start orienting our thinking, it starts running quite naturally. So it means, you know, we're going to have to transform our minds, yes? Excellent, excellent. So we're going to begin uh, today in this series with an introduction in the book of Romans. And then, Dr. Newfeld, over the next four weeks, you're going to uh, be a little bit more oriented towards different chapters of it. And so we're excited to hear what you have to say and excited what the book of Romans has to speak to our hearts about right here on Truth and Life today. Here's what I think. I think the basic book that every new believer should learn and learn well is the book of Romans. If I had my druthers, I'd start discipling every single Christian by starting them in Romans. And if you're surprised by that and you say, wait a minute, I think that's a really difficult book to learn, um, think again. I'm going to give you all the reasons in the world why the book of Romans should be considered Christianity 101. It's the most basic declaration of what the gospel of Jesus is all about. But before I tell you about why I think that, let me tell you a couple of stories about the book of Romans. The first one begins in the year AD 386. It's September and it's in the city of Milan in Italy and it's in a large garden. And there's a young man sitting in that garden. He's a philosophy professor and he's a profound pagan and he's been living a very sexually licentious life. But he's got a Christian mom, her name is Monica, and Monica has been praying for her son, but there's just been no effect, at least it doesn't seem that way. And Monica's been going to, you know, her pastor, very well-known Christian, and, uh, and she's been sharing with him her prayer request, and, and the pastor's been saying, look, and just keep on praying. But on that day, in September of 386, this philosophy professor, this, this pagan young man is sitting in a garden of a friend, and he's got the book of Romans open in front of him. And why he did that, I'm not actually sure, but he's put it down and he's thinking about his own life and he's thinking about how meaningless his life actually is. And some kids are playing, I don't know, through an open window or something, but he's hearing the sound of what they're saying. And so there's a rhyme that they repeated as a part of their game. And the rhyme in Latin was tole lege, tole lege, tole lege, which simply means take up and read, take up and read. And somehow what seemed to be background noise for a while starts to penetrate his consciousness. And he hears these words, take up and read, and somehow, and I don't know how it was, 
but he believed it was God himself speaking to him, and he looked down again, and he picked up the book of Romans that was before him, and he read these words, let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. The man who wrote this, um, the man who read this, I should say, was a man whom we now call Augustine of Hippo. Augustine of Hippo became the greatest theologian in the church for a thousand years and became the bishop in North Africa. But Augustine always said that when he read that, it suddenly became crystal clear to him. There was a decision that he had to make, and it now became more clear than he had ever imagined it. Don't do this, instead do this. And that very moment when he read that was the defining moment in his life, so he says, and he converted to Christ on the spot in that garden in Milan in September of 386. Let me fast forward you another thousand years into the future. And this time, it's a monk who is actually serving in an Augustinian cloister. And that is in the tradition of Augustine. And he's been charged to teach the book of Romans in a place called Wittenberg in Germany. And this monk's name is Martin Luther. And he is struck by a phrase that he sees at the beginning of the book of Romans. Let, let me read it to you. It says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it, that is, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. And he stopped there. I mean, he was stunned by what he read because the church, that is the Catholic church, had always taught him that whenever you see the phrase, the righteousness of God, it speaks about God's punitive justice. God stands ready as the God who is just and righteous to punish every sinner. So Martin Luther just believed that. And yet here was a phrase that he just couldn't understand. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. In other words, he's reading from Romans that the greatest news that you could ever hear is that God is righteous. Well, that set Martin Luther into a quandary. I mean, how in the world would you ever understand that? And of course, to make a long story, a very short one, Luther eventually understood that God satisfied his righteous requirements in the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross so that no one was required to do anything but to believe in the finished work that Christ had done on our behalf. God demonstrated his righteousness in the cross of Jesus Christ, and that is the best news one could ever hear. And Luther himself said, I felt in an instant that a door had been opened up to me into paradise. That was the profound, life-changing moment. I mean, over and over and over again in church history, it is the rediscovery of the book of Romans that has profoundly changed the history of the church. That's because this book is the centerpiece of the entire Christian message. It's Christianity 101. It's really the foundation upon which the entire Christian life and the Christian thought is built. If you want to have faith in Christ, know this book. If you want to be heresy-proofed in your life, if you want the assurance that you're going to heaven, if you learn this book, it will utterly transform your life, and I promise you, you'll never be the same. So let me say what I said before. I think 
The very first thing that we should teach any new Christian is we ought to teach them to master the book of Romans and teach them to believe in it and live by it. And by that way, we'd be establishing a foundation that they would never leave and we would be building a man or a woman of strength and of faith. You know, you might have wondered about my statement that I had said that the Book of Romans constitutes Christianity 101. It's the ABCs of our faith. It's the most basic declaration of what we believe. And you might say to me, well, I know that's your opinion. I've heard it now, but can you justify that opinion? So let me tell you about how the Book of Romans came to be. And once we understand this, we'll understand exactly why it is that I'm saying these things. You know, the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Romans in the winter of 57 on to 58. He was at that point in time in the city of Corinth. He had been establishing a church in Corinth, and this is a part of his third missionary journey. So he's in Corinth for the second time. And there in Corinth, he writes a letter to the church in Rome. What's unique about the Roman letter is that most of the letters that the Apostle Paul writes are written to churches that he actually established. So, you know, he's going all the way through uh, cities in what we now call Turkey and in cities in Greece. And in all the major spots, he's establishing a church. He's winning people to Christ. He establishes their leadership and then he moves on. Later on, he will write them a letter to find out how they're doing and to give instructions after what he's already taught them. But we don't really have a copy of what he taught them in the first place. Now, the book of Romans is different because Paul had never been to Rome at the time that he wrote this letter, which means that Paul did not establish the church in Rome. Somebody else did. But it had already become a vibrant Christian community, and Paul had heard about it. So why is he writing this letter to a church that he had never visited before? What's he up to? Well, the answer to that is found in the end of the book of Romans. And so I'm reading here Romans chapter 15 and beginning at verse 22, and I'll read all the way through to verse 29. Paul says, this is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room to work in these regions, so let me stop here for a moment. You see, what he's really saying is that, you know, I've run out of room. I, all of the major centers in both Turkey and in Greece now have a living Christian church established in them. And since it is my ministry to establish churches in cities that have never heard the gospel before, I'm out of room. I need to go somewhere else. And then he says, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing, he writes, as I go to Spain. Well, there you get the, the Apostle Paul's next step in his life journey. He's finished in the area that he is. Rome and parts of Italy also now have established Christian churches. He wants to use the Roman church as a launching point to move on to Spain. So he writes this, verse 24, I'm hoping to see you as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. 
At present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints. And then he writes, for Macedonia and Achaia, uh, that's northern and southern Greece, have been pleased to make some contribution to the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their, that is the Jewish spiritual blessing, they ought also to have, be of service in their material blessings. And then he says, when therefore I have completed this, that I've got an offering, I'm gonna bring it to poor Christians who are living in Jerusalem. After I've done this and I have delivered it to them and they have collected it, he writes, I will leave for Spain by way of you. And that really is the center point of this letter. Paul wrote the Roman letters to introduce himself to the Roman church. And the way in which he introduces himself is not to give his credentials, but to actually tell the Roman church what he's been preaching in every single city that he's been going. They ought to have a copy of his most basic message. That is, when Paul would go to a city like Corinth, like Ephesus, or any other city that he went to, this is the message he would preach. He writes the Roman Christians this letter, says, have a look at what I've been preaching, and ask yourself, would you like to become involved in this? So I'll come and visit Rome. When I do, you've already read through and become very familiar with the message that I'm preaching. And if you're encouraged by what you're reading, then you might want to join me. I mean, maybe some people from your church will come and be a part of my missionary enterprise, but we're going to set sail for Spain, and I'm going to ask for an offering from you. I'm going to ask you if you really believe in what I've been preaching, will you make it possible for me to go to Spain? Well, all of that to say, because of this unique set of events, that's how we got the book of Romans. Paul wanted to make sure that somebody had a copy of Christianity 101. It's a copy of what he would preach whenever he won people to Christ and established the, that church. This is what the early church would know. This is what they would defend. This is how they would share the gospel. So from our perspective, I can't see that we should see it any different. I know that a great many of us have always offered the book of John first, and, and that's fine. I think it's always important for all of God's people to know what Jesus said and did and accomplished. But when we need to tell people what it all means and how to put it together in a set of comprehensive Christian beliefs, I mean, what's the basics of the Christian faith, we need to always return to Romans. So let me say it again. If you've never learned the book of Romans, you've never learned the basics of your own faith. So if you've been in the faith for 20 years or more, let me invite you to a, to a journey. We're gonna spend a number of weeks simply concentrating on the basic message of this book. And I promise you, like Augustine of old and like Martin Luther and many others, it will transform your life and it may transform everything you do from now on in. The book of Romans is the longest of Paul's letters. It has 16 chapters, and if you've worked your way through it, you've plowed through it, and you've become somewhat familiar with it, uh, you might say to yourself, well, I, I just don't know how I can learn the whole book. And so one of the things that I like to do with people is say, let's learn by outlining the book, and then let's learn by understanding what is its key theme, and then once we understand that, let's have a look at the individual details.
Normally what I say to people is that when you consider Romans, think of it this way. The book of Romans comes with an introduction and that's about the first 17 verses. That's the introduction of Romans. It has a conclusion at the end, the last few verses, and everything in the middle is a body. So it's the body of the letter. Now, it's very easy to take the book of Romans and divide it into four sections. So let me give it to you. I'm going to say that Romans chapter 1 to 4 is what I like to call the heart of the gospel. Romans 1 to 4 really describes to us what is the essence of those things that Christians believe. Then when you get to chapters 5 all the way to chapter 8, so again, Romans 1 to 4, heart of the gospel. Romans 5 to 8 is what we might call the power of the gospel. Romans 5 to 8 deals with things like sanctification, the growth into holiness, the power of the Holy Spirit. What is it like to be immersed in the gospel and what does that mean we think like and what does that mean we act like? So Romans 5 to 8 is the power of the gospel. We might also call that just simply sanctification, the growth into holiness. And then we get to what many people think are the most difficult chapters in the Bible, and it's Romans 9, 10, and 11. Now remember, I've said Romans 1 to 4, heart of the gospel. Romans 5 to 8, the power of the gospel. I'm gonna call Romans 9 to 11, I'm gonna call it the progress of the gospel. Yeah, it, it's all about things like predestination and uh, Jacob I love, but Esau I hated, and it doesn't depend on man's desire or effort, but God who has mercy, and all these verses that people stumble over but let me say this, if you understand Romans 9 to 11 rightly, you'll understand what Paul is trying to teach us. He says that it is inevitable that the gospel will progress because God has determined that it would do so. God is arranging historical forces, including the Jewish rejection of the gospel, and the Gentile acceptance of the gospel, all of that was already preordained by God so that the maximum number of people would come in. I mean, it's hard for me to read in Romans 9 to 11 and not think to myself, wow, I know what that's all about. It's the assurance that no matter how tough it gets, this gospel of Jesus Christ is gonna go forward. As Jesus said, it's gonna be preached to every tribe, nation, tongue, and language. This gospel must be preached to all of the world as assigned to all nations, and then the end will come. And Romans 9 to 11 really is an indicator of how the gospel goes forward. So let me review. We've got Romans 1 to 4, it's the heart of the gospel. It's the basic Christian message. Romans chapter 5 to 8, which is the power of the gospel, which is how the gospel inspires holiness in the life of everyone who believes. Romans 9 to 11, the, the progress of the gospel is why in the end of the day, the gospel will succeed. And then there's Romans 12 to 16. In a way, Romans 12 to 16 is the application. I know a lot of you have heard a lot of sermons. And you know that sermons are all about not only telling us what's in the Bible, but it's also telling us what to do about what we find. And that's what Romans 12 to 16 is all about. I often call Romans 12 to 16 the lifestyle of the gospel. It, it tells us the basic principles upon which Christians live. And if you think about it, think of it this way. You know, lifestyle is such a big issue in the world that we live today. Everything from the way in which we express ourselves sexually to the way in which we think of ourselves. I mean, people often speak about, you know, I've got to love myself. You might ask yourself, how is that a part of lifestyle? Well, it, it's the me too generation. 
but for Christians who have learned the heart of the gospel and the power of the gospel and the progress of the gospel, what does that mean in everyday practical reality? And what we have in Romans is the last five chapters are application. I mean, the application ranges from everything uh, in terms of how you relate to uh, civil government, to how you relate to your neighbor and what it means to love your neighbor. It, it uh, deals with uh, how to live in community and why it is that the Christian life is considered a communal life, what the church means, uh, what we ought to do about the freedoms of other people. All of those kind of things gets discussed in great detail. So again, if, if you will, that's Romans as a whole. It starts from the theological foundations, Christ died for me, moving all the way, this because he died for me, I present my body as a living sacrifice and I live for him. It's the entire package of the transformed life that lives for Jesus. See, I believe in the book of Romans. I'm sorry that it's been neglected in the church of Jesus Christ because we thought it was too hard but it really isn't. Yeah, it's gonna stretch our mind and it's going to invite us to consider things we've never thought before, but that's because the book of Romans is reorienting the way in which we think about everything. The way in which we think about God and the way in which we think about ourselves, the way in which we think about salvation and the way in which we think about the life to come. Let me end by just giving you the beginning of the book of Romans. It begins this way. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through the prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, and on it goes. It's all one sentence, by the way. It sounds like a, a mouthful right there. But what Paul is saying is, look, think of it this way. From the very beginnings of the first notes of God's revelation in Genesis, everything has been leading up to this climax, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you what it is. So I'm inviting you on a wonderful journey. Let's rediscover the gospel from the book of Romans. Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and thanks again for joining us today for Truth and Life Today with Dr. John Newfeld. Uh, John, you just spent the last uh, half hour talking about the book of Romans and the introduction to the book of Romans. Help me understand really quickly, uh, why do you think it's so critical? Why do you think the, the book of Romans really is foundational? You know, I had once a, a gentleman tell me, if you know Romans well, it'll heresy-proof your faith. Yeah. Um, I, I think that, however, is is only half the story, although it is truly the story. Um, I've, uh, if you know that book well, uh, you probably won't fall into false teaching. But the other part is, you will know the truth by which you are saved. I mean, you know, there are all sorts of Christians that say, you know, how will you know for certain that if you were to die tonight and God were to ask you, how, why should I let you in my kingdom, what would you say? And I've heard everything from, I've tried to do my best, uh, to, you know, I mean, I, I feel passionately about Jesus. I mean, all these things, which are always self-oriented, the book of Romans will take you from being self-oriented to being Jesus-oriented. 
You'll immediately talk about what he did for me and your eyes will be on him rather than yourself. That's really the benefit of Romans. So you think that uh, if we're to take our faith seriously, we really do need to take the book of Romans seriously? I think it is absolutely essential. You cannot bypass this book. You know, I'm thinking also, I mean, we're we're in an interesting season uh, for the church, for our faith, particularly in North America. the book of Romans really is something we ought to be going to and studying uh, intensely because of the times. Yeah, I think if you go back through history, the book of Romans has played the central role in major movements back to Christ in the history of the church. Let's go there again. Amen. Well, we'll be uh, coming back again next week with Dr. Newfeld as he talks about Romans, the heart of the gospel, right here on Truth and Life Today. 